Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number two of the Bill Shank Show. Russ Brown in for Bill this afternoon. Open it up for the phone calls here in about 20 minutes or so. But first up, let's talk a little Falcons football with D. Orlando Ledbetter. He covers the Falcons for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and joins us on the phone now. Good afternoon, Daryl. Hope you're doing well. Hey, I'm doing good, Russ. Thanks for having me today. Hey, always appreciate the time, and uh, let's just get right into it. Uh, a lot to cover here since the combine with the Falcons, and of course, free agency gets going on Monday. Uh, first up, uh, Lorenzo Carter was re-signed this week, and uh, not a not a whole lot of cash. What is is that? Just kind of like a rotational type role for for him, or what, what do you think his role with the team moving forward is going to be? Yeah, it's uh, you know he started a lot last year. They're developing people behind him: Arnold, uh, Ebicady, and D'Angelo Malone. Uh, and you know, as soon as they get ready to play, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know they'll they'll be trying to beat him out. They're gonna have to beat out the veteran, and uh, uh, you know, but certainly they've spent a lot of draft capital on those guys. And uh, as soon as they if they can take it over, they'll take it over. If they can't, uh, the veteran you got a veteran who can um, uh, you know do the job, and you have some some position certainty there. And it almost sounds like, for Carter's standpoint, more than anything else, he just wanted to stay home and, and be a Falcon. Is that the case here? Um, no question about it. He did want to stay. Uh, you know, he could have tested the open market. Uh, but, yeah, he told me after the season he wanted to be – it was home. And uh, they gave him a, a nice increase. And, uh, you know, he didn't want to um, go on to the open market. And, you know, he had been in New York for four years. And, you know, you would know, be jumping around from team to team to team. And so uh, uh, this was a good situation for him. Good stuff. And, and now, Daryl, as, as we move into the free agency, uh, which starts with the – I guess they call it the, the non-tampering period on Monday. I, I mean, obviously we know pass rush, uh, offensive line, lines of scrimmage is going to be a, a big need for this team. Uh, wh- who were some of the targets? I know you had a list uh, online of, of, of 10 potential targets they could go after. Uh, on that list, who really intrigues you and, and think would be a really good fit here in Atlanta? Well, they got to fix the defensive line, and uh, uh, Javon Hargrave would be the number one uh, defensive lineman. Delvin Tomlinson from the Vikings would be number two. And then uh, David Oyamati. Uh, from the Saints, you know they have a connection to him. He would be he would be one, and so uh, you know they certainly uh, w- want to get tougher up front, and those three guys can help them out. Well, and, and on that you know on that note, obviously the Ryan Nielsen, the new defensive coordinator, has been brought in, and and one of the things they need to do is is to get a pass rush. And, and Daryl, it feels like. This team, I, I know the, the numbers for the defense haven't been great, but it feels like if they're able to get like a Hargrove in the middle and, and maybe hit on some guys on that edge, and obviously uh, James Bates' safety has been linked, um, it, it, does it feel like they're maybe three or four players away from being a, a even just a middle-of-the-road defense in the NFL? Uh, yeah, they, I think, uh, you know, uh, you got to get a, a cup more than a couple. Um, you know, they think if you can get the push up the middle, that'll help the outside guys get home. And uh, it's not always the outside guys. They spend a lot of money on that uh, and a lot of draft capital on that, so they'll continue to develop it. But um, 
you also got to get some cover people. You know, you got to be mm-hmm. able to cover uh, the outside. In addition to A.J. Terrell, you need a cornerback uh, and you need a nickel. You got to try to re-sign uh, Isaiah Oliver. And, you know, Casey Hayward's 34. You might be comfortable with him coming back. Uh, Darren Hall didn't fare that well. But, yeah, if you could get some push up the middle and get some coverage on the secondary, uh, you're kind of okay at linebacker with Troy Anderson, Mikael Walker. Uh, probably, um, you know, you want Rashawn Evans back at your cost. Uh, maybe uh, Alex Anzalone from Detroit who played for Ryan Nielsen in New Orleans might be a good cheap free agent for you uh, to provide some depth. But, uh, yeah, yeah, you got to get some push up front. You got to cover people on the back end. And that'll get that'll improve this defense immensely. Yeah, Daryl, you mentioned Troy Anderson there, the linebacker that they drafted uh, last year. So, do, do they feel pretty good about where he's at after his rookie season? Oh yeah, they really like the fact he was able to get out there and hold his own last year. He didn't, he wasn't great, but uh, you know, he, he held his own. Uh, you could see his athletic ability when he blew up some guards along the way. Uh, some misreads, missteps, but, you know, they knew that was going to happen because he didn't have any instincts. He was a former running back and quarterback. So, you know, another year of work, you should see a uh, big deal of improvement from him. And, uh, uh, you know, they think the sky's the limit for him. They like D'Angelo Malone. I think he can get a lot better this year, uh, a lot stronger. Uh, Arnold Ebicati, they really like – he slashed a little bit, then got nicked up and didn't uh, perform as well. But, uh, yeah, they certainly um, have some young talent that is going to be important that they develop. D. Orlando Ledbetter of the AJC is our guest here on the program. Uh, Daryl, in your mock draft that you released, um, I, I think it was yesterday, you had uh, Skronsky, the uh, offensive lineman from Northwestern, as the pick for the Falcons. And Bill and I have talked a lot about him on the show. Is it the versatility that, that the NFL teams like about him, his ability to play all the positions on the offensive line? Yeah, no question about it. Uh, you know, uh, maybe Broderick Jones is better, maybe Paris Johnson from Ohio State. Uh, but he's certainly going to be an NFL uh, lineman. You know, Northwestern has been putting out linemen in the last couple of years. Uh, and Peter Skoronsky is one that comes highly recommended. His granddad played for Vince Lombardi, played for the Packers, got five Super Bowls. So, you know, the NFL does the old bloodline thing. So, he uh, he'd be a good guy. He can he can uh, he can pass set, which McGarry can't do, and he can run block and so forth. So that might be an upgrade uh, for the Falcons at the right tackle position, sitting at number eight for them. You know, one of our guests earlier this week said that he thought a good strategy for the Falcons would be able to uh, would be to spend on defense and then fill some holes on the offensive side through the draft. Do, do you think one will have anything to do with the other, or are they just going to go through free agency and try to fill all the holes and stick with the plan of drafting the best players available? Yeah, they're definitely going defense and free agency. Uh, okay. You know, the, you just look at the positions where they're weak at and where they need upgrades, and, and all that's on defense. And on the offensive side, uh, you know, you only have one one receiver, really, uh, Alameda Sakias is, is a free agent. He was number two. Um, the uh, Corderell Hodge is a free agent, and so is Demir Burt. So you can look at the back end of the receiver market, and uh, you can look at the defensive uh, upfront market and the secondary as possible um, You know places where they're going to spend their money. 
And then if they don't hit in free agency, they have to over. They don't want to overspend, and they don't get the guys they targeted. Then you can go to the draft and start trying to uh, fill fill your holes that way. Gotcha, gotcha. Finishing up here with D. Orlando Ledbetter. Uh, before we let you go, uh, have you heard anything uh, from the Falcons or really? any NFL team uh, about where they are with Jalen Carter. Obviously, uh, he's thought of by a lot as the best prospect in this year's draft, but with the off-the-field stuff at UGA that maybe damaged goods a little bit. Uh, have you heard anything about what NFL teams think about his draft stock? Yeah, they are, it's tr- yeah he's falling. He's falling. He's not going to be drafted as high as he was before. Uh, a lot of teams have questions for him now that the AJC stories came out about him leaving the scene of uh, the uh, crash that was fatal for for one of his teammates and one of the co-workers there. The character question is, hey, this is your teammate. This is your buddy. This is your your line brother, and you didn't stop to check on him. You thought about leaving the scene. You should have been the first one trying to help him and get him to the hospital and so forth. So, you know, that was a me. You know, they worry about stuff like that. Uh, you know, when when the going gets tough and you get a million dollars in your pocket, you're just going to be worrying about you and not the team and helping out. So it gets all, you know, psychological like that, and, and it's a real bad uh, example for him. But And then there's uh, people um, in the league that, uh, you know, like Marvin Lewis would take on guys like Jalen. He, he won't, won't hesitate, you know, and figure that he can coach him up. He did that with Odell Thurman. Uh, Pac-Man Jones, and, you know, the list goes on. Uh, Bontez Perfect, but there are any coaches like that. It's not as many as it used to be. Now, Pete Carroll at six, he might do it and be like, hey, we Jalen's a football player. We'll worry about all that other stuff later. He's a young adult. We can, you know, um, he's going to grow and mature here. And a lot of, you know, that's more thought-out approach to it is that, hey, you know, these kids are 20. They do stupid things. And uh, when they get 25, he's going to be okay, and he's going to be a great football player. So, um, you know, Pete could take him. I think I had him going to Robert Sala at 13. Uh, but he's definitely um, definitely falling out of the top spot. A lot of questions he's got to ask for the teams. And uh, he can fix a little bit of it, Russ, on, uh, on Wednesday here at Georgia's Pro Day with a great performance uh, for the scouts who will be in hand. Uh, just kind of laissez-faire. Uh, you know, watch my tape type of uh, attitude, and then you know that's gonna drop him out of the out of the top ten for sure. And, and you know, the drop is from one to eight. That's like sixteen million dollars last year Ooh. between the first pick in the draft and Drake London. So he's already cost himself a lot of money. Mm, 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 mm. Well, hey, Daryl, we always appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Hope you have a great weekend. All right, Rush, you take care. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. That's D. Orlando Ledbetter. Covers the Atlanta Falcons for the AJC and just does a tremendous job. Uh, and we're very fortunate to have him uh, be a guest on this program regularly uh, during the NFL season. You know, the the, the stuff about Jalen Carter, um, gosh, you know, we, we, we've, we've talked it to death. But you hear that, that he's dropping it. And I, it was Bobby from Macon that made the call about, you know, in referencing leaving the teammate. And, you know, the statement that Jalen put out, Basically saying he's going to be exonerated of all the charges, and and maybe he will, and 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 you know we there's, obviously there's a lot we don't know, so I try not to speculate too much about that. But it it's not you know it's not the charge uh, that that these teams are going to be asking about. It's it's not the legal side. The legal side 
are the two misdemeanors. But, I mean, you heard it from D. Orlando right there. You know, the, the selfishness. And even in that statement, it was, all, it was about him. And, and teams worry about that. Uh, and, and, you know, when you make it to the National Football League, that's a really big investment. Uh, and teams are going to be careful about that. And I also think, too, on the other side of that coin, and Daryl mentioned this as well, you also have to remember about the age of the person. And you don't want to make excuses for somebody because they're young, but there are behaviors that people do grow out of uh, from when you, you know, when you leave college and you go into the professional world, which is what these guys are starting to do. It's not like, you know, uh, your typical job, but, you know, it's not like he's, he's going to join an accounting firm, but still he, he's transitioning out of college and into the professional world. And sometimes that transition is, is enough for, to lack of a better word, for us to grow up. Um, and, and, and if that's the case, then, you, you know, you weigh that with the talent that he is. I mean, the, <laughs> you know, he, he's going to be a first-round pick. And it doesn't sound like he's going to fall much past 12 or 13. Uh, but as Daryl pointed out, he's already cost himself some money with that. Uh, and, and you hate to see it. But then you weigh in the talent factor. So, uh, again, and I, I know a lot of you have said – that if he's there at eight and the Falcons pass, you're going to be really upset. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I I I don't know if Terry Fontenot would s- say something publicly about a player that he didn't draft. Uh, but uh, but if that scenario plays out, you know, I, I would hope the Falcons would address it and and just be uh, say, hey, we weren't comfortable, or maybe they are. Well, I don't, we don't know. I mean, and like Daryl was saying, Pete Carroll might take a chance on him with that fifth pick, and if he does, it's a moot point. You know, it, he's never going to get to eight. Anyway, so that's definitely that 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 story, uh, the Jalen Carter story, is going to be big on draft night. And as that gets closer and closer and closer, that's going to be something people are talking a lot, uh, uh, talking about a lot. And there's and there's plenty of time between now and the draft for these teams to try to find out as much as they can. And they're going to know. I, I don't know. Um, you, you may have heard this, and and kind of branching off into the NBA and and the NFL with their security is going to be the same way. Uh, John Morant, if, if, if you don't know, is, has some gun trouble right now, uh, and, and the team has suspended him, and the league's trying to figure out what to do. But Dan Patrick brought in Gilbert Arenas, and if you remember, when he played for the Wizards, this would have been maybe 10 years ago, uh, was playing around with a gun in the locker room and got into some trouble. So that's why he brought him in to talk about it and basically was saying in a, in a meeting with David Stern, it's like, we know where you go, we know who you hang out with, we know everything you're doing. Um, and so, I mean, these teams are good, so they're, they're going to find out. And that's why I've been saying all along, you know, the, today is a snapshot of, of where whoever is with Jalen Carter. It's probably not quite the same as it was last week. Some time has passed. More time is going to pass. And the more you dig and the more you dig and the more you don't find anything, the more likely as a team you're going to be uh, to draft this young man. So time is, is what he has on his side. If there's nothing else there, if there's nothing else to talk about, you know, I, I don't think he will fall as far. But between now and, I mean, the draft, I think, is uh, April – I want to say the 27th. It's the 27th or the 29th. I can't even remember uh, – of April. So we're still talking about six weeks. There's a lot of time here. And so if there's nothing else there, that that's the good news that, that, that it came out when it did. I know it wasn't a good look because he was at the Combine. And so the timing of it from that standpoint wasn't very good, but it would be much better than it coming out, you know, say April the 20th. Uh, and I think it was Brent Rollins who said it on this program. You know, if it had happened, you know, the day of or the day before the draft, he'd probably fall all the way out of the draft because the teams just don't have this time that they need 
to do their research and do their homework on Jalen Carter. So that can benefit him uh, more than anything right now is, is the time. There's some other news in the National Football League today, and I, I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit surprised by this, uh, but the Dolphins have picked up uh, Tua's option year. Uh, Tua Tungavailoa now will uh, be a quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. It's $23.2 million, and I reference this because I <laughs> – the season's going to have to kick off without Tom Brady for me to believe that he's really retired. Uh, now, and there have been rumors that if Tom did come back, Miami could be a landing spot, but if they've made this commitment to Tua to the tune of 20-some-odd million dollars, I think that's a pretty good indicator that if Mr. Brady does return, that it is not going to be uh, as a member of the Miami Dolphins. So uh, some, some big news there. And I know a few Dolphin fans, they seem pretty happy about it. And, you know, the thing about Tua, though, is I hope that he's getting some really, really, really good medical advice. Um you know, the, the, he's had the concussions, and frankly, uh, you know, if, as a parent, that would scare the heck out of me because we've seen, you know, the, the, the trouble that people can have with CTE and, and some of those long-term effects from those concussions. So, you know, obviously, I know he loves to play football, and it, it, there's a mental and physical toughness you have to have to play that sport, especially in the National Football League at the highest level. He's obviously got that. Um, but but I do hope that he's getting some really, really good medical advice uh, as he continues to try to come back from those injuries. And, you know, that, he looked like he was starting to turn a corner. Uh, health is going to be a big thing for him moving forward. You know, you got to be in there and be able to produce, but hopefully he can do that and uh, and, and, and go on and, and, and live a healthy life after football as well. We're going to go ahead and take a break. As we do, we're going to open up the phone lines. We've got a lot more stuff I want to talk about, but uh, we'd love to hear from you. And, and I was thinking uh, during the show yesterday – uh, for those of you that, that may not have been listening at the, near the very end, we got into a conversation about the Sid Bream slide against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And you know the story, Sid Bream slides in, he was safe, and the Braves go on to the World Series. I don't think the Pittsburgh Pirates have been the same ever since. Um, but Bill and Skip, and, and I'm sure there's others out there, think that uh, he was out and that Major League Baseball got the call wrong. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Uh, there was no replay back then. Umpire said safe. He was safe. But it got me to thinking, not about that call specifically, but just in general. As a sports fan, what is the worst call you've ever seen? The, I mean, just the absolute worst call you've ever seen. Uh, so if you've got one in mind and you want to talk about that, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can talk Falcons. Uh, you can talk Georgia Spring football, Georgia Tech Spring football right around the corner. Josh Pastner out as the head coach at Georgia Tech. Anywhere in the world of sports you want to go is fine with us. We're going to take a break, and we're back with more of the Bill Shank Show right after this. Four twenty-three. Russ Brown in for Bill Shanks this afternoon. Taking your phone calls at 478-646-ESPN. A little bit of a topic today. We'll see where it goes. Bad calls. Just what is one of some of the worst calls you've ever seen in sports? Uh, yesterday we kind of got into a little bit of a conversation about the Sid Bream slide against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Bill and Skip think he was out. So uh, I thought it might be fun today to just kind of relive some 
maybe not so happy memories, uh, but just some of the worst calls you've ever seen. We'll start with J-Rad in Macon. What's up, man? How you doing? Hey, Russ. What's going on, buddy? How are you? Outstanding, man. It's good to hear from you. When you talk about bad calls, you have to mention Eddie from Ackworth on a daily basis, right? Oh, wow. Uh, he's going to beat me up for that. I'm, sc- <laughs> I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding you, Eddie. I'm scared to death of you, buddy. I'm just kidding. He could break but, you with um, one hand. Yeah, right. No, the, the worst call that stands out to me is, I can't remember the year. It was the late 90s. The Jasper Saints non-fumble against Georgia oh, Tech. Oh, yeah. Yep. I remember that and, very well. Oh my God! I destroyed a closet door. I broke a lamp. It was. <laughs> it got ugly at my house. Well, you know, it, and and uh, Jeff Densler says this all the time. You know, people want to talk about Georgia and Georgia Tech. Uh, should they keep playing? It's like if you don't think it's a rivalry, you just lose once. Yeah, I mean, I. I know. I, I don't want to get into all that. But <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, is Bill okay? I've been worried about him. Yeah, Bill's fine. Bill's fine. He's he's good. He's just taking care of some family today. He's good to go. Okay, I got something. Uh, are y'all going to be out next week? I got uh, something to bring him. You know, I don't, uh, J. Rod. I don't know if we will or not. If uh, obviously, if he if he's back in Macon, there's a good chance we'll be we'll be back uh, out on the road a little bit next week for sure. All right, buddy. Thanks, man. Have a good weekend. Hey, you too. It's always good to hear from you. Take care. Uh, for that, and then Jasper Sanks, you know, I, I was on the other side of that back in the day, growing up as a Georgia Tech fan. So I, I thought it was a good call personally, but no, no, he did not fumble that ball. Four seven eight six four six ESPN. John is in Macon. What's up, John? Good afternoon. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. It's good to hear from you. Good to hear from y'all too. I appreciate your show, and uh, I, I I could not let this go by without bringing it out. The '91 World Series. The kid her back, pulled the wrong hand off first. Oh, yes. Oh, that was awful. I mean, he's, he practically suplexed him. It was unbelievable. And then again, in that same game, letting uh, Lee Brant pitch against Kirby. Yeah, yeah. That that was that was a different kind of a bad call there. I think different decision. But yeah, that was. That 91 World Series was a heartbreaker, man. And I I hated Kent Herbeck when I was a kid because of that. But you know what? Can't hate him for doing what he did. It's the umpire that allowed it to happen. Yeah, no, you're no, you're right. No, it was the umpire that allowed it to happen. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it. But it just it, it uh, I I did not like him after that. And believe it or not, and let me go double check this. Um, I think he did a little bit of wrestling after he played baseball. Um. But I don't know. I'd, I'd have to dig deep into the Wikipedia page to find that. Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking about somebody else. But, yeah, the 91 World Series, uh, there was a play where Ron Gant was on first base, and I think he thought about maybe stretching into a double and changed his mind. And, I mean, Kent Herbeck, he, he, they threw it back to the base to try to get Gant out. He beat Herbeck back to the base, uh, if memory serves, and then he just kind of wrapped his glove around his waist and kind of – you know, had the other arm over the shoulder and just kind of pulled him off the base, and the umpire called him out. So that was a that was a pretty bad call for sure. Four seven eight six four six ESPN. Kirkland is in making. What's up, Kirkland? I'm right here right now. Hold on a hey, what's up, man? What's going on, bro? Not a whole lot, man. It's good to hear from you. Hey, man. Sid Breen was saved, Russell Brown. Yes, he was. I agree. Bill Bill and Skip say he was out. And we're putting that in the files. We're going to make that secret right there. We put it in, like, the government files or something like that. We're not even going to investigate that. Put them on double secret <laughs> probation. 
Yeah. <laughs> hey, but the worst call ever in the history of sports was um, the pass interference. Not pass. Yeah, uh, roughing the passer on Tom Brady by Grady Jarrett. That was the worst call in the history oh, of sports. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think – and I, the rules, I've heard this about the rules committee. I don't know if they're going to do it, but I think this offseason they're going to look into making those calls, uh, the roughing the passer, reviewable um, and, and try to maybe give the defensive guys a little bit of a break here. And I think that call is probably going to be one of the main reasons why. Yeah, yeah, because uh, at, 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 and at the same time, though, Russ, that might have been a good play because that is, we lost that game, and then there's another loss of Marcus Mario. That means he was almost on the way out. So <laughs> it was kind of good and bad. Uh, that, that, yeah, I like, yeah, that's find the silver lining. There you go. That, look at the positive. It, that helped kind of up. I don't know if it's going to be the Desmond Ritter era, but at least it gave Desmond a chance to start those last four games of the year. Yeah, and, and, and we know the worst call in baseball was. Um, I can't remember, but it was a game the Braves played with the umpire and stuff, and he called it a, was it a strike or a ball or something, and it was like, it was like the worst call in the another worst call in the history of sports right now. I can't remember the, the umpire's name though. Oh, I'll well, get back to you on that though. Okay, all right. Hey, Kirkland, it's good to hear from you, man. Have a good weekend. All right, buddy. Four seven eight six four six ESPN again. I just and it could be any sport, just a, a memory that you have of one of just absolute worst calls. Uh, you've ever seen four seven eight six four six ESPN. Trey is in Brunswick. Hey Trey, how you doing? Doing good. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. It's good to hear from you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So as far as some of the worst, the worst call in NFL history has got to be the no call pass interference Rams and the Saints. I think that's uh, somewhere around twelve or thirteen. I might be off on that. Yeah. No, I re- I remember that. I w- that was the NFC Championship game, maybe. Was it two years ago? Um, and and it was it. I mean, that was a pretty blatant hold, I think, from a Rams corner that just didn't get called. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, that was uh, pretty pretty rough. Now, when it comes to college sports, the worst call in college sports is Georgia Alabama National Championship 2018. Yeah. Get, Georgia gets called on a, I think it was a false start on a, or excuse me, we're offside. We got called for offsides on a block punt but really there was no offsides and it was a false start on the punting team and it ended up shifting the momentum in that game heavily and we ended up losing that game when we really that would have been a a block punt down in the 10 yard line sealed the game we'd have had three national championships at this point yeah yeah and and you're that 100 percent right it was tyler simmons he was called for being offsides and uh georgia blocked the punt on that he was onside and I don't know if this made things any better or worse, uh, but I do give credit to Dan Capron. He was the referee of that um, of that crew. And, you know, sometimes – look, everybody makes mistakes. Uh, but sometimes officials don't want to admit when they, they did. But in this case, he came out. Uh, he did an interview with the Chicago Tribune and said in that interview that Tyler Simmons wasn't offside. And you're right, that could have been already a third national championship uh, for Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. Four seven eight six four six ESPN is the number. Let's go to Jeff in Gray. What's up, Jeff? What's going on, man? Hey, this is like a, just a whole game. It ain't one call. I know you'll remember because you're a big Braves fan. Eric Gregg, <laughs> Marlins versus Braves, the biggest strike zone in the history of the game. <laughs> I will never what forget was he that. Given eighteen inches, <laughs> I think it was about two feet. Yeah, I will never forget that game as long as I live. Oh my God! Losing my mind. The whole I go. 
He couldn't hit it if he had a seven-foot bat. What are you calling? <laughs> and, the, and the funny thing is, if you go to YouTube, you can you can go find the whole game on YouTube. It was in the 97 NLCS. And, uh, and one of the videos is titled, LeVon Hernandez's air quote strike zone. Uh, but that was uh, from uh, – when it was, in, it was game five, I think, of the NLCS that year. But, yeah, I remember that that very, very well. And I also remember the baseball world or the Braves haters, maybe a better way to say it, because I always felt like Tom Glavin got so much leeway on the edge of the plate. It was almost like it was karma uh, for the Braves paying them back. But, yeah, that was that was pretty bad. And like you said, that was the whole game. I mean, there's a, there's a cut-up of all the bad calls. It's about 39 seconds long. I mean, the very first pitch – that they show is to Ryan Klesko. And, yeah, that, I mean, that ball has got to be about two feet off the plate. Yeah, I figured that day Greg had been drinking and he saw three plates and was just calling it whichever <laughs> plate it went over. It didn't matter. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was pretty bad, man. Hey, Jeff, good to hear from you, man. Have a good weekend. Have a good weekend, man. All right, we'll do it. 478-646-ESPN. Yeah, some, some, some good ones so far. The worst call you've ever seen. Uh, in the history of sports, let's go to John is in gray. Hey, John, how you doing? Hey, good, sir. How about yourself? Doing good. Good to hear from you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I was thinking about old uh, Jim Joyce on that first uh, base call for the perfect game. That uh, I felt so bad for that guy. Oh, yeah. That was, um, that, was, uh, that, that was pretty bad. Jim Joyce, I'm trying to remember if it was the Tigers, uh, what the pitcher's name was. Um, but it was yeah, it was a Rondo Galarago for the Detroit Tigers was throwing a perfect game and Jim Joyce made um what just absolutely one of the worst calls you will ever see that ruined his perfect game. Um there were death threats made after that. Um but I also remember too the 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 crowd because the, the he you know, he admitted he made a mistake and the crowd, you know, knew that the death threats and things like that had had, had come in. Uh, they had a pretty good show of support for him. I think it was the next night or maybe two nights later, and he, he even teared up during the ovation. So that was uh, one of the bad moments in baseball turned into a pretty good moment at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching that. Yeah, I felt I just felt bad for Jim Doors too. But, man, that was, I, I would be so upset if I was that pitcher, you know, blowing that perfect game like that. That had to be terrible. Oh, there, yeah, no question about it. Hey, we appreciate the phone call, man. Have a good weekend. You too. Thank you, sir. And uh, I'm pulling it up now. And it's, it's so cool these days with the technology we have. Um, you know, you can go back and watch all of this stuff. But – and they, they've got the uh, – you can go find all of this stuff on replay. And um, I'm trying to see exactly how close he was to the perfect game. They were in the ninth inning. I want to say there were two outs. Yeah, Alex is shaking his head. Yeah, it was a 2-2 count with two outs. And so they had the perfect game. And I just – oh, it was just uh, – your, 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 your heart sinks. And, I mean, that was, that, that was the only base runner he allowed the whole game. And, I mean, that – you know, it wasn't like there were things that transpired after where you could say, oh, yeah, well, you know, this would have happened or this would have happened. No, it was late enough in the game. That, that cost Armando Galarraga that, uh, that perfect game. 4 7 8 Six four six ESPN. Drew is in Macon. Hey, Drew, how you doing? What's up, man? I was gonna uh, uh, call in about the uh, two hundred seventy-six foot uh, infield fly rule. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting on this one. I was thinking, I was like, "There's no way." I mean, that was the probably one of the worst calls that could be in anything. I mean, just watching it from anywhere, you knew that that was not a 
not a uh, call, but then also the other side is it really cost us the game, and that was the first, I think it was the first play-in game uh, for the wild card when they went to the two teams in the wild card. Mm-hmm. And then, and I think it was made even worse when Joe Torrey came out the next day and, and, and backed it up. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Oh, that was... Uh, but you never know when things like that are going to happen, but you hope, always hope, hope it's not against your team. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, man, appreciate the call. Have a good weekend. All right, thanks. You too. Yeah, I, I, that was... Uh, you know, I thought about giving mine, and that's what it was going to be, but I thought I, I knew somebody would call in with, with that when the... the it was, I want to say it was 2012 against the St. Louis Cardinals at Turner Field, and the... Um, yeah, it was about a, a 250-foot flyout uh, that was ruled in inf- – uh, they call it the infield fly rule on it. And uh, the crowd there t- – I mean, it got ugly. People started throwing bottles onto the field. They had to start stop the play. You know, that as a Braves fan, that was a, a, a kind of embarrassing because you, you start throwing bottles of beer down and it could hit somebody in the head and really cause some injury. So, um, I don't remember of anyone being seriously hurt, but, yeah, that – that turned real ugly real fast that night in Atlanta. And, um, wow, that was that was not a pretty sight, and that was definitely not a good look for Major League Baseball. And, again, and, and I'll never forget this. And I think, you know, Joe Torre managed the Braves in the early 80s. I know Bill absolutely adores him. But I think, you know, any affection that a lot of Braves fans still had towards him went away the next day. He was – can't remember the official title, but he was working in the front office of Major League Baseball at the time. And, you know, and I think, again, going back to the Tyler Simmons call where that official came out and said, hey, we made a mistake. I think that and Jim Joyce, you know, coming out and say, hey, I got it wrong. I made a mistake. I think that that goes a lot further uh, for people than when you come out, when you double down on it, you know, you come out the next day and say, hey, yo, no, they made the right call. How can it be an infield fly 250 feet away from home plate? Um, I mean, that's a home run in Little League. <laughs> so anyway, it was uh, it was a it was a bad call and turned into an uglier night there in Atlanta, and that's uh, one I'm sure we wish we could all forget. Four seven eight six four six ESPN is the number. Uh, what's some of the worst calls you've ever seen in the history of sports? You can also talk about anything else on your mind in the world of sports as well. We'd love to hear from you. And we're back with more of the Bill Shanks Show right after this. Four forty-two. Russ Brown in for Bill this afternoon. Taking your phone calls at four seven eight six four six ESPN. Anywhere you want to go in the world of sports, you can talk about uh, whatever's on your mind. But uh, today, asking the question, what are what's the worst call you've ever seen in sports? And uh, we've we've hit the high ones. I mean, I, you know, there's so many of those moments where you don't really have to say anything uh, to really trigger the memory. Kent Herbeck, uh, Jasper Sanks infield fly outfield fly whatever you want to call it but uh had some really good calls so far today and uh we'd love to hear from you four seven eight six four six espn back to the phones we go ken is in macon what's up killer how y'all doing good this man ain't really, this ain't really a call from the referee this is a call from dagon dan stupid queen in the super bowl the way that one time De- deandre uh freeman or something i think he had a holding call or something and it cost, and and then then the way he called that second half, it cost the darn Falcons the Super Bowl. That's what made me so damn mad. I can't stand it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it took. I, I think some of us are still recovering uh, from that day. 
Um, that that was a rough way to lose it, and and you know, and again, I, I'm sensing a kind of a trend and a theme here, Ken. I think what was the most frustrating to me was not just the game and losing that game and, and blowing the 28-3 lead, but it was the double down on the decision to, as they, they kept saying, well, we wanted to stay aggressive. They, it was the double down on that to almost try to defend themselves uh, after after the game. It's like, no, man, you had a 25-point lead at the half and you blew it. And the stupid thing that Arthur uh, freaking blank done with DeAndre uh, Freeman he said, I want to make a Falcon for life. And, and his agent said, well, we want a pay raise right here at the Super Bowl. I would have done like the guy from San Francisco 49ers with the quarterback, Joe Montana, the receiver. I would have gave him a center. If you win this cotton-picking game, the Super Bowl, I give you a raise. But if you don't, your buddy's gone. I would have never done that DeAndre Freeman. He's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and the worst part was – I mean, there's rules that, that kind of tell you when you can start those type of negotiations, and his agent obviously didn't know the rules. I mean, the Falcons weren't in a position where they could negotiate a contract right then. Oh, those are some bad memories, Killer. I know that's right. I mean, I just got furious in that darn Super Bowl. He had the thing right in the cop picking hands at and blew it. Yep. Well, hopefully they can get back there pretty soon, and, and, and hopefully Arthur Smith is the right guy to push the right buttons to finally get that Super Bowl trophy for Atlanta. I don't know. I hope so, but I just don't know. After blowing a game like that, yeah, not 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 never happened. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey man, I hope you have a good weekend. It's good to hear from you. Me too. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> All right. There's only one. There's only one. Brent Rollins always when he's on the show talking about those elite talents. He's one of one. Uh, Killer's definitely one of one. There is no doubt about it. And that Super Bowl, it gets brought up a lot, and obviously it is a very painful memory. And I think, you know, even as we've been talking about free agency and what the Falcons may do in the draft, you know, there's a lot of skepticism that comes in these conversations. And I really think a lot of it just stems from that game. And, you know, before that it was the Cowboys game in 1980. I don't remember that game. Uh, when Danny White, the backup quarterback for Dallas, led it, uh, the, the Cowboys from behind to win at Fulton County Stadium. But I remember it being talked about. And, and I, I remember as I was growing up as a Falcons fan, you know, my, my dad and his buddies would always talk about the Falcons in the same light we talk about them now. And it was stemmed off of that game. It's like the, the, <laughs> it's like the 2016 team said to the 1980 team, hold my beer. Um, but it's uh, just still a lot of frustration that comes with that. That's an interesting angle on it, too. They're not a call from a referee, but – decisions that were made by the head coach and the offensive coordinator um, that ultimately uh, cost the Falcons the Super Bowl. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that was uh, uh, that was just a real frustrating time in, uh, in Atlanta sports history. I uh, want to remind you, coming up tonight on the Superstations, we've got uh, baseball in our markets to carry uh, the Bulldogs. Uh, they'll be taking on Charleston Southern this weekend, we'll join that game in progress at 7 o'clock. They're going to be getting underway here in about 15 minutes or so. The Hawks are in action tonight. Uh, they're taking on the Wizards. It's a big week for the Hawks. They'll play the Wizards tonight. They host the Celtics tomorrow night. And then they'll have another game on Wednesday. And this is a critical time in the National Basketball Association because they've played 66 games. So they've only got 16 games remaining. And it's really tight in the East uh, as far as the play-in tournament is concerned. 
Uh, you've got Miami, Atlanta, Toronto, and Washington kind of all jam-packed together in that order. The Hawks are a game and a half back of Miami, who's in seventh. They've got a game and a half lead over the Raptors, who are in ninth place. And the team they play tonight, the Washington Wizards, are two back. So the Wizards could pull to within a game with a win tonight. And even going further back, the Bulls are within a game of the Wizards. The Pacers are a half game back of the Bulls. So the the race, if you will, to get into this play-in tournament is going to be epic. And, you know, we've always talked about this team in terms of a disappointment compared to what we thought they were going to be in the regular season. You know, a team that we thought would be right up there with, you know, maybe not Milwaukee and Boston, but maybe in that next tier with Philadelphia, Cleveland, and you, you might even want to throw the uh, New York Knicks in there. That's about where I thought the Hawks would be this year, 3-5. to five. Uh, Obviously, that's not been the case. They fired Nate McMillan. We knew that was going to happen if they didn't meet these expectations. But, man, I, it would be a real shame if they weren't even – at least even in, to make it into the play-in tournament. That being said, I think we've already seen the impact that Quinn Schneider is going to have on Trey Young. And this may be – just, you know, the, the most Pollyanna, over, overly optimistic thing we can talk about. But our, our way of looking at this, because it is such a short sample size, but Trey Young's talking about defense now. And there was even a tweet. I want to go find it. There was even a tweet from the Atlanta Hawks yesterday. You know, it said something to along the lines of two-way Trey activated or something like that. Um, and, and it was a highlight of him getting a steal in that game the other night against the uh, Washington Wizards. Yeah, it's um, it, 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 there was a, a ball handler for the Wizards, dribbled it down into the corner, and Trey was able to go knock it off, and there's another um, – and, and force a, a turnover. There's another play where he's coming up and getting the steal, and you can really see him starting to put more effort into his defensive game already. Uh, and, and that's kind of – you know, he's needed to take the next step, the next evolution, if he's going to be that superstar player – and we know, you know, Quinn Schneider was going to come in here and coach these guys hard. And again, it's still very early. There's definitely a honeymoon period to all this. You have to see how it looks long term. But right there in the weeks leading up to when Nate McMillan was fired, it, it was a bad look for that locker room um, because this was the second time a coach had been fired. You know, and Lauren Williams of the AJC even – I mean, she she said the word. She flat out asked Trey Young what he thought about people who were saying he's a coach killer. Uh, so he had to speak to that. Um, and it just uh, – it, it looked like, you know, with Quinn Schneider coming in, does this team – are they just overly sensitive? Are they not going to take to the hard coaching? And I'm telling you, the timing of this could not work to have worked out better with the Hawks having the game against the Cavaliers before Quinn Schneider was named head coach, and Donovan Mitchell, who plays for Cleveland, who had been with Schneider in Utah, talked to Trey Young about him and let him know what he thought of, of Coach Schneider and how he helped Mitchell become an all-star player. And, I, you know, Trey Young sounds like a different player. And it's almost like I wonder, you know, did we have it a little bit backwards where it looked like maybe they were clashing with the coaches, but the players were right in this sense is that you need to get somebody in here that can really push us to be great and push us to be the players that we can be. Because, and those last two games before the All-Star break were just embarrassing. I mean, they might as well just forfeited those games and not even shown up. That, that was bad. But um, nevertheless, uh, you know, I, I expect to see some good things tonight from this Hawks basketball team. Uh, the games against uh, the, uh, Washington the other night was a close game. I mean, you're not just 
going to go in there and say, hey, yeah, they're going to roll out the ball and, and win the game. It's going to be a tough matchup. Uh, but I, I really like the way this team is playing right now, and and hopefully they can get into the playoffs and and make some noise even if they can get out of that play-in tournament. And just you know more time with Quinn Schneider and more time for him to evaluate this team and really have a good feeling of right where they're going to be uh, when they move into uh, next season. Because next year, I, there's going to be a ton of expectations. And and now, you know, now that you're on to your third coach, you know, a, a lot of this pressure is going to shift to Trey Young. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to – if they get off to a slow start again next year, I don't think you're going to be able to blame it on Quinn Schneider. And I think the organization feels that way too because they gave Schneider a five-year deal. Um, now, I know, you know, you can get out of those contracts easily. It, it doesn't really mean anything sometimes, but – I just think that uh, I think they've got the right coach, and he's it so far anyway. He's pushing the right buttons with his team, and they are hopefully now going to be headed in the right direction. There's still going to be some work to do with roster in the off season. You know, you could see some some of the bigger names traded. Uh, obviously, they're taking a long look at Jalen Johnson right now. He's getting a lot of minutes. Unfortunately, that's costing AJ Griffin some minutes. But I think Johnson is a guy that they think can really help this team out long term. And if he can be a player uh, moving forward, it may create some wiggle room where you might be able to trade somebody else, free up some cap space, and, and sort of reshuffle the deck chairs a little bit on this roster because, and we've talked about this, more than anything else, they need a glue guy. They absolutely need a glue guy. Uh, this morning on the Dan Patrick Show, they were having a conversation about Draymond Green uh, in, in reference to the Hall of Fame, and they're going over his career numbers. And they're not very good. And, and Jerry Mon Green's not a likable person. I understand that. But that's the type of player this Hawks team needs. They need that guy that's going to get in there and do the dirty work and, you know, and, and keep Trey Young upright and keep DeJounte Murray upright and, uh, and just a glue guy to really bring this whole thing together. And hopefully this franchise can get back on track to where they were two years ago when they were playing the Milwaukee Bucks in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's a long way to go between where they're at right now and there, but I think they've got the right player to build around in Trey Young. Got to find a way to get an extension done for DeJounta Murray. I think they've got the right coach in Quinn Schneider to do it, and uh, hopefully they'll be headed in the right direction. But we'll have Hawks basketball for you tonight and tomorrow night. Uh, again, tip-off tonight is at 7 o'clock. Pre-game, uh, well, it'll be at 6.30. We'll still be on. But uh, the Hawks in the markets that don't carry Georgia will be on as soon as we're done at 7 o'clock and then tomorrow night. 7 o'clock pregame and a 7.30 tip at State Farm Arena against the Boston Celtics. We're going to take a break for the top of the hour. Phone lines open, 478-646-ESPN. What's the worst call you've ever seen in sports or anywhere you want to go in the world of sports is fine with us. And we're back with more of the Bill Shank Show right after this. Mm-hmm.